Certified Financial Planner is an innovative, comprehensive, informative, and cutting-edge podcast that discusses financial topics ranging from personal finance, economics, politics, and personal growth. Simply Financial will cover intriguing and thought-provoking questions so that the listener can simply increase their financial IQ. Welcome to Season 2, Episode Number 10 of the Simply Financial Podcast. This is your host, Christopher Calandra, and for this week's episode, I have two special guests, Lynn and Reed Dunlap, who have been part of the corporate world for their entire careers, and they are closing in on retirement. Uh, I have not known them as long as many of the other guests I've had on the show, especially recently, but they are wonderful people. They've put their time into the corporate world. They have some wonderful plans and expectations for retirement, and so we're going to talk about that today. I think you'll find it really interesting. I know I've been looking forward to this for a while, so Reed, Lynn, thanks for spending some time with me here this morning. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having us. And so, um, I mentioned you've been in the corporate world for a long time. Um, can you fill us in a little bit? You, um, you've worked for the same, both of you have worked for the same corporation for pretty much your entire careers? Yeah, I've been with uh, the same company for about 35 years now. Okay. Um, in various roles and various locations, so it hasn't felt like the same job for 35 years. You served overseas for a lot of years. I did. I spent about 20 years doing international assignments, um, everywhere from Australia to Japan to Central Europe. Plus, you were in the military, right? You were. That's true. I'm a proud mm-hmm. former Marine, and it was a uh, it's a good starting point for a young man without a lot of direction. And that's you. <laughs> it's. Now I'm an older man without a lot of direction, I think. But no, it's a, it's a good uh, base for skills. So, um, Lynn, you've worked for the same corporation for the entirety of your career, too? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, 31 years uh, as in the finance world. So that's kind of unheard of in today's day and age, or certainly rarer than it was years ago. How is it that you guys were both able to stay with a company for so long? can't be easy. Well, for me, I think uh, it was one of my first jobs out of the military, and it gave me a lot of opportunity to travel, see different things. So it felt like I was changing jobs every few years. And then when I grew up, right, most people got a job, stayed with the job for their careers. And at the time... The corporation was offering a lot of uh, would be considered very attractive benefits today, pension plans, 401k plans, things of that nature that made it attractive. And then the opportunities, it felt like you were doing something different over the course of that career. That makes sense. So, Lynn, would you say that over the course of your career, the, the fact that you're with a, a Fortune 100 company and that you have good benefits, the pension plan, the 401k, healthy matches, all of that stuff. How much did that play into the decision to stay with the company long term? Or was it more about job satisfaction and what was happening day to day? How much did the retirement plan portion factor in? I think it was probably about a half and half. Uh, The security of the large company you know, looking at folks that have generations of their families working for the same company for years and years, 
kind of gave you that sense of security that, you know, I, I could do very well here. The other thing, then the other half is looking at what can you do in your career when you have a big company, even though you're in finance, you could do 10, 12 different types of financial jobs. So there's no looking at, am I going to get bored? Am I just going to do the same thing? Is there opportunity for advancement? So it's probably a half and half approach. That's neat because I've never worked for a corporation. I've always been entrepreneurial, small business. So I probably unfairly portray it as, oh, you're sitting at the same desk for 30 years. But each of you are speaking to the fact that you've been in different roles, in different locations, working on different projects. So maybe it's not as bad as I make it out Mm -hmm. to be in my own head. Um, So, Reed, what have you learned about money and wealth building along the way? Wow. Um, I'd say the biggest thing when I first started out was saving, right? The goal was to save money and develop a large balance. Unfortunately, I think like a lot of young people, I didn't know a whole lot about markets and different investment opportunities. So my 401k in the early years, it was basically safe investments, insurance bonds, things like that, like an income fun Mm -hmm. type thing that I stayed in for a number of years. Um, One of the conversations I have with the kids, right, as they're getting ready to start into the business world is stock, stock, stock. And, of course, the youngest one's Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a timely topic. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you got to find that middle ground and understand that your wealth building is going over a very long period of time, and that's tough to get your head around as a young kid, mm-hmm. right? But, so you were in the military. Were you a good saver when you were in the military? I'm going to guess not. No, I was typically broke by Monday morning <laughs> after Friday paycheck, like most 18-year-olds, okay. away from home for the first time. So then you get into corporate um, America, and then so you, you start with this company, and how did it come about that you would participate in the retirement plan and put some money away still as a young man? Well, I, I think the uh, 401ks at the time were relatively new. And hearing that if I put a certain amount of money in there, the company was going to give me a 50% match or mm. a 60% okay. match up to mm-hmm. a point, right? And you're looking at long-term savings then. I wanted to buy a house. I wanted to do a lot of things, which is kind of the wrong, in retrospect, was the wrong idea, right? Because I never used any of that money for anything like that. But it's the first real savings vessel that Mm -hmm. I actually Mm -hmm. contemplated and made an effort. And the returns were just so well that someone was going to give me money. How can you not? And once you started, you never stopped. Is that fair? That's fair. And over time, I increased what I could do, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, took the percentage up as my salary and other things improved over time. So, no, it's been a uh, 33-year endeavor now. So, for you, Lynn, is it similar to Reed's experience, or is it... Uh, somewhat similar. The The corporation, although I was in finance, it wasn't personal finance. It was um, more the corporate manufacturing finance. So... Um, it was really their suggestion. I, I agree with Reed. It, it was a fairly new concept, and I think the corporation did a great job of offering it to the employees and showing them the benefits. So, you know, they did see if you contribute, we'll help you save. And same thing, I never stopped. It was nice to have the flexibility to increase percentages, decrease them as, as life events happen, life changes. Um, and, but yeah, it's, 
and definitely something you just keep talking about uh, to the younger generation because it's it's all changed now without those pensions. Yes, it has. So, w- when you were growing up, Lynn, um, did you grow up in a, a wealthy household? Was it poor, middle class? And um, so, if you could answer that, and also, like, what did you learn about money growing up as a youngster? So I would say I grew up in a working middle class. Um, My mom was home for a while with my sister and I. My dad would work one job, come home, have dinner, go work another job till they saved enough uh, moving up into a house from a a rent. Um, What did I learn? And I want to say the thing that stuck with me the most is you, you need to plan and you need to budget. And we used to have a cabinet by the front door that had the little white envelopes that had the paper money, the milk money, the grocery money. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, vacation was only if you could save for it. You know, there really credit wasn't an option in the house. Didn't know about it, didn't learn about it, which was, in my mind, a retrospect, a good thing. Because then when I wanted something, I wanted a bike, you go work for it, you save for it, and then you go get it. So did you ever use that envelope system? Uh, somewhat with, say, various bank accounts. Right, that's what I was going to say. You probably didn't use the envelope system, but you took the The spirit of that, the discipline, Mm -hmm. the budgeting, buying things that you could afford to pay for and Mm -hmm. not use credit or not use credit recklessly. Those are all things that you kind of picked up on. I did. um, Did I start to slip away from that as, say, maybe I uh, got myself into maybe a little bit better economic situation than I grew up in? Looking back, probably a little more than I should have, but I, you know, it was still in control and able to work out of it. You know, there was no, no major issues. And how about you, Reed? Yeah, I, I thought about that a little bit, and uh, I guess when I was growing up, I thought I was like everybody else, middle class. But in retrospect, it was a single parent household with three older brothers. Um, so in retrospect, we probably weren't middle class, but we were like everyone else around us. So we were average. How's that? Um, and then as far as lessons, it was a lot like Lynn talks about. There wasn't credit cards. You didn't get things you couldn't afford. Um, I learned that if I didn't want my brother's hand-me-downs, that having a job and having my own spending money was critical if I wanted something big like a dirt bike or something. That was something I had to save for and work for. So I I actually, I guess the biggest lesson was if you want something, you set a goal and then you've got to figure out how to get there, right? Because nobody's going to give you anything. So that actually feeds right into read my next question because I was going to ask you what are your uh, money rules, what have been the keys to building wealth? Because to set the stage, at this point in time, you're closing in on retirement. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have an exact date, but it would be within the next, probably next year or within the next year or two, something Fair. like that. And so you guys have built up a healthy nest egg and you've made so many good financial decisions and are living the American dream, it sounds like, given your standard American kind of upbringing. Uh, So what have been your rules of money? We talked about getting started in a retirement plan early, and that's obviously been a key ingredient. But um, talk a little bit more, Reed, about what your rules of money and wealth building have been that have served you so very well. Well, it's it's going to sound a little bit uh, corny, and a lot of people use the phrase, uh, quite a bit now as you read articles, but you got to pay yourself first, right? 
um, for those longer-term dreams. And basically, that's the 401k plan. And then you've also got to focus on you're going to have unexpected expenses, too. So you can't live paycheck to paycheck. It's it's a uh, non-tenable situation, I guess. Um, I, I would say that, you know, the biggest thing is making sure that I'm living within my means. And when I say within my means, I mean focusing on those goals as well and making sure that before I go do anything that I would call uh, frivolous, right. that I've paid myself first in those longer-term goals that I have. So have any of these thoughts that you're sharing um, with me and, and the listeners, has anything changed in your mindset money-wise and wealth-building-wise as you close in on retirement and you're at the verge of entering into a brand new chapter of your life? Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about quite a bit and uh, we've even talked about it in the past, right? It's the difference between having savings and looking at an income stream. I'm, I'm a little more focused on an income stream to carry me through the rest of my life rather than some magic mm-hmm. number in the bank in an investment account. So I, I, I think that uh, that's probably the biggest change in my philosophy. Obviously, the more you have, the better your income yeah. stream can be. But, but but to summarize, all these years, you had the money set aside for a future date and you were disciplined about doing that. But now you need that to do a different job or sure. soon you're going to need that to do a very different job. Absolutely. Um, you know, you spend your life working, you have uh, a known income that you can base your standard of living on and the other things that you want to do, and having a big balance in a bank account that you can't translate into income and how you're going to support yourself and fund those type of activities, it's just a different way of looking at how you're going to invest and also how you're going to have money working for you to support that ideal. Great. Lynn, have your thoughts changed at all as you close in on this uh, new phase of your life? I know it's exciting, right? Yeah. But as- oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, they have, and the mirror reads very similarly. You know, you just, when you're young, you keep hearing sure. say, all the old folks say, make sure you save, <laughs> make sure you save for 40 years down the road, 30 years down the road. Um, but to then think about what that savings needs to do for you. Um, now, it's got to be hard, or I know I didn't think about it when I was 20 and starting my first job in my career. It was, yeah, save, 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 but not what are you saving for, but how is that savings going to work for you? Does, um, you know, without necessarily giving out your age, I probably shouldn't give out Lynn's age, but you guys are going to retire younger, much younger than the average in the country. Today, many people work deep into their 60s, even 70s. And sometimes that's by choice, uh, but many times that's by circumstance. Um, But for you guys, you're going to retire young, can we say like in your 50s? We could say that, yeah. (laughs) Pre-60, I I think would be a great number. So how does that factor into your thinking? Because I imagine a lot of your uh, contemporaries... Uh, are not retiring, and you probably see others in corporate America and through your social circles that retire at older ages. Have you given that any thought? Does that um, influence any of what you're thinking about? For for me, um, 
Actually, I'm, I met a guy when I first started working, back to an earlier point you made, and he was 55 and retiring. So I started talking to him, and he was big on the 401k, and at the time I got X hundreds of thousand dollars in the bank, kid, and so on. Mm. I'm 55, wow. That's pretty young because, you know, my mom's still working. Everyone I knew was still working. And then over time, I've had the uh, fortune of meeting people that work because they need to. And when I say need to, I mean psychologically or personally, right. they need mm -hmm. that outlet. But by the same token, I've made some people that have retired around my age as well. And the biggest lesson from them is... How do you maintain your lifestyle, right, when you work? What are you going to do? What's your lifestyle going to be like? And how have you prepared for that? So that's that's kind of where I am with it. And I've always had a goal to stop working earlier. Okay, so that's been a long-standing goal. Sure. You, didn't, you didn't just stumble into this. No, no. And that's why I started saving early with no clue about, you know, mm -hmm. where I would get and when I would get there. Um, that sort of gelled later as I went through life. I started to be able to figure it out. Um, but, yeah, the, the goal has been to have that dreamy summer um, Florida lifestyle, yeah, like summer vacation again, but a little longer. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's talk about that. So you're going to retire young, should be healthy, long life expectancy, good strong nest egg and a good strategy for income to maintain your economic lifestyle. But what are you going to do? I mean, you've been workhorses your whole career. What are some of the goals that you have in retirement? Uh, I guess I'd like to start with a real long vacation. Long vacation? Uh, you know, 30, 30 years of, of a career is a long time. Um, I'm in a field and I don't think it was just unique to the corporation I was with. Finance works long hours, and it's just, it's been long enough, so I'm looking forward to some downtime. But then, you know, you start to maybe look at, you know, how do we give back some, some volunteerism. Um, I'm not going to be the person that needs to go have even a part-time job to fulfill something. I'd rather uh, fill my time with, with other things, a little bit of leisure, a little bit of relaxation, and then some giving back. So you want to enjoy some more sun? Yes. Do some traveling? Figure out a way to give back in some in some way. Uh, I don't think you've really defined it from our discussions. No, but there, I think but... it's a meaningful use of some of your time, yeah. right? You've got to have a plan for that time. I don't think I can nap for the next thirty years. Um, although right now it seems pretty attractive. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think uh, we're going to relocate. First of all, we're going to leave. The state of Connecticut. All right. Um, for a lot of reasons, um, weather being one, and then of course I'm not thrilled with the economic condition of the state, and I think that my income will be much better in a lower taxed area, um, both in the terms of real estate tax, um, income tax, things of that nature. So that'll take up the good portion of I don't know six months or a year. Um, and then after that, we will have to figure out what's available in the community. And uh, But I think it will center around trying to do something useful. So let's talk about Connecticut because actually um, the day we're recording this, um, I do a radio show 
um, in Middletown at Wesleyan University's campus, and the show is called The Buzz. And today we're going to talk about the state of Connecticut uh, and its economy. Uh, Governor Malloy gave a speech this week. We have a guest on. It's the uh, head of the state uh, Republican GOP party, J.R. Romano. And what always strikes me, and I've talked about this at least on one other podcast episode, is how striking it is how many of my clients, when they get ready to retire or soon after they retire, almost the first thing on their checklist is, after I retire, I got to get the heck out of here. And it's an absolute shame. How long, Reed, have you lived in Connecticut? I know we talked about you've... Probably uh, somewhere around 15 years. Okay. And Lynn, longer for you, right? I've born, raised, schooled, right. and worked in Connecticut. So, I mean, it's such a shame for the state that we have two high-income earning, good citizens who've largely built their lives in Connecticut, and that we're going to lose you, your money, your citizenship, like you're going to be giving back in some meaningful way, but it's not going to be in Connecticut. It's it's such an absolute it's such an absolute shame, and I envision I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm not criticizing. Connecticut is really not winning the economic battle and is losing to the local states as well as the southern states and actually most other states. But you mentioned earlier on, Reed, because um, I could just go off on an absolute tear um, complaining about Connecticut. But you mentioned earlier you guys have two sons. So, Lynn, um, one's in college in Boston. Correct. Um, your youngest is, I think, like my daughter is, ready to go off to college next year. Yes. So what advice do you give them or will you give them about building wealth? Because they grew up in a different household. Yes. Uh, I'm not saying they're spoiled. I don't believe they are. But they grew up in a very different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I get this, too, with, with my kids, you know, I think it's funny, like growing up, we never went out to eat. I mean, I I grew up in a lower middle class household um, and part of it's lifestyle, but we never went out to eat. Now, if I said to my kids, you know, my son's 12, you know, where do you want to go to eat? My son will be like, I could go for a good steak. Mm -hmm. What what are you talking about? You're 12. How about like McDonald's or Arby's or Friendly's or the diner? But no, and Mm. that's the world they grew up in. So. They've grown up in a in a house that's successful, financially affluent household. Um, what advice are you going to give them about them making their way in the world and being smart financially and building wealth? So I think it even goes prior to, you know, what advice are we going to give them going forward? It's, yes, they grew up very differently, but I also always tried to stress to them you want something, you need to rely on yourself. You need to work at it. Um, allowances weren't just handed out. You, you still had to earn it, whether it was just make sure your room's clean, snow blow the driveway, something. You know, you, you need to earn it. They, they've got to get that mindset because once they step out of the house, done with college, stepping into their new, new, their new life, it's all on your own. All those bills are yours. So you have to plan and all the things we're, you know, we're trying to tell them, but pay yourself first, make sure you have that savings plan going. That's got to come off the top. And it's, it's good to hear. Hopefully he executes it. The older one's already starting to think, you know, well, geez, if my first job out of college is at this salary, 
Okay, it's 20% off the tops, going to savings. I, I like hearing that. Whether or not that's really going to happen, we'll mm-hmm. still continue to encourage it. But, yeah, start from there. And then what's your rent? What's your car? What's your insurance? And, and that. So just they have No, that's to terrific. I mean, we no- talk very candidly about our position how we got here, what it took to get there, and what they're not going to have. You know, when we talk about the income stream in their retirement, they're not going to have that traditional pension. And they must have seen over the years, just by your daily behavior and habits, that even though um, you're affluent and you've lived nice lives and you have nice things, um, you've instilled that discipline and that responsibility and that work ethic. Um, But there's a lot of college students that are not really as prepared probably as your son and actually both of them probably are. Um, So how about you, Reed? What advice do you give to them or have you given to them? Well, it's a lot of what uh, Lynn says. I will tell you that both of them um, are willing to work for what they get. I mean, Ben, although he doesn't need to, um, he just did a very successful co-op in engineering and, uh, you know, we set some savings limits with him and other things that he adhered to very well. He even managed to keep another part-time job. So when he goes back up to school in Boston, it's with a uh, sneaker store, basically, a chain sneaker store, Champs, I think. Um, but he kept his position here in Connecticut and transferred to Connecticut while he did his co-op, worked on weekends so he could keep that job Beautiful. in. Um, Boston when he got back there. So I think he has really good fundamentals. Um, As he's starting to think about getting out of school, we talk, and he's even talking budget now. That first year, well, a car's going to be this, insurance is going to be that, so on and so forth. So I, I think he gets it, and I think he realizes that he's seen changes in our household over time. Cars have improved. Um, he got a car, I mean, right. things of that nature, um, where, you know, earlier on, a bicycle was a longer conversation. So he knows that it's a, uh, it, it's not a sprint, right? It's more of a marathon. And if you start out the race correctly, you're going to finish the race up near the top. Very well said. So we talked about all these successes you've had as you close in on retirement and everything we've talked about. Um, have there been any notable mistakes or pitfalls that you've come across on your way to this um, successful early retirement phase of your life? Yeah, I, uh, I touched on it earlier, right? And it was the conservative nature of my investment philosophy, not thinking about, you know, I knew stocks went up and down. Heaven forbid any of my money ever went down, right? And I wish that I could have in retrospect, taking that, because I probably missed out on uh, 10 years of good stock investment. So this mistake, it wasn't a function of bad advice. It was actually more a function of just a lack of familiarity. Um, Or did somebody give you advice that you came to regret taking or it was just... No, No, it was kind of my decision of what I wanted to do and... You know, around that time, um, you know, most of my peers were where I was, so there wasn't a great deal of advice readily available. Mm -hmm. Um, There probably was in different circles, 
But, you know, as time went on, you listen to people, you talk, you read, you do other things, and it changes your philosophy a little bit. Um, I just wish I would have read that book about 10 years earlier, right? <laughs> and how about you, Lynn? Any, uh... Uh, same thing. My, my 401k, you know, is always very heavily weighted toward a very, very conservative uh, investment. And yeah, you just wonder what what could that balance have been mm-hmm. if if you took some time to do that. You know, lives are so busy, and it's like, well, you know, they tell you just you know plug your age in, plug this in, and and we'll invest it for you. That's great, um, but you probably could do more <laughs> if you took some time to work it yourself, learn about it, become a little it. bit more educated, right. seek some good advice. Think it through. I'm, right. I'm not sure that, you know, then knowing that I had a defined yeah. pension plan mm-hmm. as well, that the 401 and that investing was quite as meaningful for the long no. haul and that's the great rest point. of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be, that's a conversation we have with uh, the kids as well, right? You're not going to have Much that. less likely. Sure. Um, so I'm... I have a funny last question because I write down my questions because I want to be prepared um, so I don't make a fool of myself on my own podcast. So one of the questions, the last question that I wanted to ask you is because you guys are disciplined, you're good savers, and I wanted to talk a little bit about some things that you do splurge on. But if I could share and not embarrass you, Lynn, that when Lynn walked in to record this, she has this beautiful pocketbook and I know my wife, Joelle, loves pocketbooks and has like... 800 of them and all different shapes and sizes and the whole thing. So I don't know if that'll be your answer, but we talked about how you like purses too. So what is something that you guys splurge on um, separate from all of the financial and wealth building success we've, we've covered here today? What's something that you splurge on? From my perspective, I I think we do splurge on our vacations. All right. Uh, We do, we do take, take the time and we go and do what we want to do and we just, we just feel it's worth it so right. is it splurging yes but there, there's also a lot of benefit behind it good read i think reed's answer is going to be different it, it, it's going to be a lot different <laughs> um mine's really i would say the pursuit of food and fine wine, um, you know, and I've unfortunately I've done that to the kids as well. I mean, they used to love Outback. Now, if I say a steak, they say the Capitol Grill or Ruth yeah, Chris, right? I understand. Um, but all of the travel I did, I've had some remarkable meals around the world. Around the world, and if I find something really, really good, I don't mind paying for it. Um, so I, I would say that's it, and it goes along with our vacations. I mean, when we go on vacation, she says we splurge a little bit. That includes the dining outside of it as well. So now, now, Lynn, when I asked him the question, I thought for sure he was going to get a different answer. So what answer would you have given for Reed? Um, we do like to have some nice vehicles. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going to say. I, I would tell you that I haven't splurged on those yet. Yeah, there's, <laughs> oh, okay. there's, there's other vehicles that I would like. Um, I consider those within our means without splurging. So what would be aspirational? What vehicle, like bucket list, what vehicle do you have ID that you'd like to get? I, I love Porsches. All right. Um, so I would just... 
I have one now. I would just get one just a little bit more exotic, maybe a little bit faster. Um, I don't need a Lamborghini or a uh, Bentley or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I'd spend a little bit more on a uh, sports car, I think. Beautiful. Good. Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, drove cars within my means all of my life. And we do a lot of driving, right? Our commute right now is long. And I've actually thought if we need the same vehicles, and I'm talking about the larger daily driver, which is a BMW, do I need something like that when I retire? But 75 miles a day, you want to be comfortable, you want to be mm-hmm. safe. And if you can afford it, and it has like a heated steering wheel, why not? There you go. Yeah, heated steering wheels are one of those things. Like, why do you yes. need why do you need a heated steering wheel? Who would needs that? This, that, the other, and you get one. You're like, how did I ever live without exactly. that? Exactly, can't go back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, again, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Uh, I will be back on an upcoming episode of the Simply Financial podcast very soon. In the meantime. Uh, If you want to find out more information about me and Elliott Wealth Management Services, please visit our website at www.elliottwealth.com. That's two L's and two T's. Uh, There you could sign up for a a complimentary initial financial consultation and or sign up for our monthly mailing list. So with that, thanks for listening. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies, websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial.